the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What would you preach in your final sermon? And then, five habits that kill contentment. How social media is impacting our children at different ages. And later, what is worship really about? You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on the second to last day of August. Does that make it the penultimate? I think Ooh, that's what it that does. means. That is penultimate. Yes, that's penultimate right. Penultimate I love day. that word, by the way. Penultimate is just a strong word, even though as it long sort you of remember just means, what it like means the final act before the actual final act. The thing before you- the end. Let, let me let me ask you a question that is far from hard hitting. <laughs> Speaking of words that I don't always know what they mean. Yes. Bi-weekly. Is it true that bi-weekly could mean every other week and also mean twice a week? So I've always assumed bi-weekly meant every other week. Like if you get paid bi-weekly, that's every other right. week. But now that I'm hearing you ask the question, I'm like, yeah, that would make sense, right? That that could be... Tuesday, Thursday, bi-weekly. Let's look that up. We need to to know the answer to this. This is an important question. If that is true, if I am right, it is yet another example of the English language not making sense. Like, Could you imagine learning the English language? Yes, Brian, it is occurring every two weeks or twice a week. (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense. We have a a terribly confusing language. (laughs) I thought I remembered that once where I asked somebody, I was like, bi-weekly, I always get confused. What do they mean? They're like, it could mean either. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That can't be right. That can't be right. So then tri-weekly, three times a week or every three weeks? Or is that taking it too far? I I guess we could keep going with this. I can't just... (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Well, we are glad that you are joining us today. I'll I'll mention this now, but bring it up more tomorrow. But you can remind me if I forget. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, I don't normally uh, celebrate holidays like this. I think remembering too many things is is kind of silly, but Uh this one feels important. (gasps) What is it? Tomorrow, 25 years from the first date Carrie and I ever took. Oh, I love that. Way to go. Good job. 25 years. That's a very, uh, like, well done you for remembering that. Are are you going to do something special to market tomorrow? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe. You need to. But I have told you, I have told you the terrible reason I always remember that, haven't I? Is it Diana's death? It's Diana's death it's tomorrow, Diana's 25 death years. Tomorrow. Ooh. Yep, yep. Uh, so it at least gives me an easy remembrance. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, you know, it kind of does. Wow, Princess Oh, we're going to have to have a whole Princess Diana themed show tomorrow, everybody. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Prepare yourself for what the Queen eats for lunch. We'll do that's it again. Right. That's right. All right, Aubrey. Major moment over the weekend and on Sunday. We've been talking about this uh, a, a couple times now, but Rick Warren. He preached his final sermon at Saddleback as Saddleback pastor after 43 years. I saw some people posting about that. Unbelievable. 
So Rick Warren said, it's been my privilege to love you. What a great line that is. It's been my privilege. Saddleback, for those of you who don't know, out of California, has 40,000 members and was launched in 1980 as a church plant uh, by Rick and Kay Warren. Uh, On that first Sunday, March 30th, 1980, about 50 people, most of them strangers, showed up at that high school gym, Rick Warren at the time was a 25-year-old recent graduate of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he said it made a big impact nearly immediately with 60 baptisms over the first uh, nine months. And wow. anyone who knows Saddleback, you know, purpose-driven, uh, yeah. it comes out of that. Yeah. Uh, but his last sermon was the other day. Now, his first sermon in 1980 was from the book of Zechariah. Wow. Uh, And guess what he did this past week? Oh, did he do Zechariah again? I think he re-preached the first sermon. Oh, I actually love that. I think that is so powerful. He went full circle. Full circle. He said building a new... Yeah, go ahead. This is part of why he's on our Mount Rushmore of America's pastors. I mean, come on. Yeah, so he said this. Building a new place of worship can be done not by human strength, but only by God's power. Mm. We're going to need God's spirit to strengthen Mm. us in building a new house of worship. Will you join us in this extravagant journey, this great adventure? Will you join us in doing God's word as the foundation of our lives? Will you join us Mm. uh, in fulfilling God's plan? And he Mm. re-preached it this week. Oh, I love that. So, I love that. So let me, uh, here's the question I want to ask you, but I first want to share a Rick Warren memory. Oh, let's hear. Uh, that speaks to how not any of us are like Rick Warren, okay? But I, <laughs> uh, the question I'm going to ask you is your last sermon to uh, to Renewal Church. Maybe oh. it, could be in, it could be in five years. It could be Woo! in 35 years, Woo! right? Yeah. If you had to give that today, Woo! what would you talk about? And I'll I'll answer the question for me yeah. as well. But I'll give you a second to think about that. Okay. You're ready for my Rick Warren story. I'm you might so know ready. my favorite seg uh show we've ever done uh here. Ian and I had a chance to sit down with Rick I Warren. I feel a for little offended. Minutes. I feel a little offended that you said Ian and I, but I'm gonna let it pass because I, will- I know what you're gonna say. I will say it had more to do with Rick Warren than Ian okay, Simkins. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I, thank you. I needed that. I needed that. <laughs> uh, exponential conference one year. I'm down in Orlando. Rick Warren is speaking, and he gets up to speak. At You've been to Exponential. You yep. know how this works. He yep. gets up to speak, and all of a sudden, he brings this teenage girl out, or maybe you know she might have been late teens, and he says this, I met this girl in the hotel lobby this morning led her to Christ and want to baptize her. Stop it. Are you kidding me? So he proceeded to start his exponential lecture or teaching by baptizing the girl he led to Christ in the hotel lobby that morning. Are you kidding me? I mean, what? That is why he is America's pastor. That is some anointing right there. (laughs) That's amazing. You or maybe you and Kevin do it together, whatever else it might be. Uh, last sermon at Renewal Church, the way Rick Warren just did Saddleback this past weekend. What are you saying? So I, it's funny. Like this is actually a work that I feel like God is like doing in my heart right now, and and so I, this is kind of what I thought because I think there's a lot of things you could talk about, right? But I think at the like the end of the day, I feel like just reminding our 
people at Renewal that like God is a really good father and they are mm. his sons and daughters. Like, I yeah. really think that's what I would go back to. Like, not this great, like, I mean, that's great theology and great doctrine, but like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend time expounding on that kind of stuff. I think I would just remind them like their identity and that God is good and God loves them and God is for them. And I feel like that's a message I need again and again and again. And I think all, all humans need and all Christians need. That's awesome. What about you? Yeah. I look forward to the day where whenever I leave the church here, whether it be, you know, like I said, in three years or 30 years, like I, 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 first of all, hope that like Rick Warren did here, that it's really, uh, positive, right? Yeah, and it's really right, like right. a closing of a chapter. Uh, I do love the idea of preaching your first sermon. Bringing I, there it is back. something I've really never cool about that. that. Yeah. And so I will answer the question. Do you remember your first sermon or Kevin's first sermon when you guys started the church? I remember Kevin's first sermon. We were still like meeting in a little gym in a middle school and he just uh, it was it was a very like basic but powerful just gospel message like your sins oh, are cool. forgiven. There's no guilt. I don't remember my first sermon at renewal at all. Yeah. At all. Do I you remember, remember preaching. Yours? I do. I remember preaching uh, the the awesome story of Isaiah chapter six. Here am I said me, but which gets me to what I would want to say to our church. And you've heard me say this a million times. See what all that our last sermons would be is what's really at on our hearts and what we need to hear. And <laughs> it's not need. so true. Uh, that, but the, the, the first sermon that Isaiah chapter six was basically this point before talking about starting a church and going in this, you need to be blown away with the awe of God. And I think mm. I would talk about the awe of God again, mm. like do not lose the awe and the wonder of who God is and what he has done for you. And then everything else will take care of itself. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's where I would go, but man, that's going to be. Like in some ways, I don't look forward to leaving my church, but I no. do look forward to preaching a last message. Yeah, there's like, doesn't that sound awesome? It does. And I think the, and there's something underneath, not just preaching the last message, but like you were just saying and, and like kind of what we're saying about Rick Warren is like finishing well, you know, like yeah. I think that's sort of the goal. It's like if you're preaching your final sermon, it means you've you've run the race. You've yes. listened to God's call in your life. You haven't fallen away. You haven't given in to sin or immora- immorality. You know what I mean? Like you've like, if you are there to preach your last sermon, that means like, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So well done, Rick Warren. Yeah, The that's number right. one draft pick on our Mount Rushmore <laughs> of America's pastor. Good job, uh, Rick Warren. Is Rick Warren. So closing out a remarkable pastoral career. Obviously, he's still going to be very active doing ministry around the world. Uh, but no longer serving at Saddleback on a weekly basis. So great job out of him. I don't want to just keep, you know, well, I guess you and I have a radio show. We can talk about our own lives as much we as we want. We can talk about our own lives. Uh, they gave us my, microphones, like, Brian. Exactly. Like moved my daughter into Hope College this past weekend. We had all the emotional farewells. She had more orientation stuff today. She started school today. So I'm wow. texting with her like, you're an actual college student. I mean, that's now. incredible. Yeah, like uh, you forget after all the festivities and all the hoopla, like, oh, wait, you got to go to class. You know what's so funny <laughs> is he- hearing you say that. Now, I am a perpetual student. Like, I I just got my master's. I've already signed up for a post-grad class that I'm taking right now in Old Testament. That said, I do not miss undergrad. Like, I don't miss the homework. I don't miss the stress of papers. I don't miss, like, getting up and going to class. Like, I... 
there are times when I, and even now, like I have homework, but I will sit and I'll say to myself like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have homework tonight. Like I just remember that feeling and it's so nice not to be under that like constant stress. Yeah, which is example A, exhibit A as to why your perpetual studentness is crazy. To <laughs> it's me. insane. It's totally. I have no desire. Like there are just. I think you and your husband are this way. Yeah, we both. Uh, are. I've got uh, other really good pastor friends that I know who are this way. Yeah. I am not. Yeah. Who are just. You like not obviously. I like learning. I don't like the classroom learning. Yeah, the degree, yeah. the right. homework. Like right. I have no desire to do that in yeah. my life right yeah. now. Yeah. And uh you do. <laughs> yeah, I really do. There's a little bit of part of me. I mean, I actually learn really well in the classroom. Like that that setting, just whatever type of learning that is, I like that's effective for me. But yeah. I also feel like if I'm gonna take the time to learn, like you better give me a piece of paper. You better give call me something. Me, you better call me Dr. Sampson, because I spent a lot of time learning that. You know what I mean? It's uh, a unfortunately ridiculous. for you. Do you know who else likes it? Who else has that bug? Your husband. I know. It's not good. <laughs> we don't have the money for it. We don't have the time. Nope. We don't have the capacity. So, right. nope. But other than that, you're set up perfectly exactly. for post-undergrad uh, post, uh, <laughs> degrees. I did tell Kevin he's starting his uh, doctoral work soon. And I did tell him, like, I'm just going to follow you around. I'm just going to read all the books you're reading. I'm just going to write all the papers you're writing. And I'll just get, like, an honorary degree. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I don't enjoy growing no, in, my, you do. in my knowledge you base love and that. stuff. You love that. But – the next time my wife and I have a conversation <laughs> going, I want to uh, go back to school, will be the first time for either of us in a really long time. No, you guys are better. You're smarter like, than the rest of us. It's it's not, That is not true, but it is just uh, diff, uh, different different horses for different courses, as they say, right? Oh, so, that's good. All right. Uh, found this great blog post that got me thinking uh, it's at a place called Fully Known, Fully Loved. Mm, That's a love great that. title for yeah, a, uh, for a uh, website, for a blog. Five Habits That Kill Contentment. And they begin by quoting Paul's words. This is somebody named Blake Glosson. Uh, it quotes Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And they kind of gl- uh, kind of get on that word learn, that this is something we learn. Contentment is something we grow in and learn. But Aubrey, let me go step back here. Um, Two questions for you, for Mm -hmm. us right now. Define contentment (gasps) and why is it such a big deal biblically? It's so funny that you, it's so funny you said that because right now I was like, define contentment. Okay, so here's, here's what like the Oxford Dictionary says, and I think it's probably slightly different than what scripture would say. Yep. But the Oxford Dictionary says a state of happiness and satisfaction. Mm. Their, Their example is he found contentment living in a simple life in a country. Okay. Mm. And I feel like contentment biblically is a little bit different. And I think I've used this example on the common good before, but um, there's a Psalm that says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child is my soul within me. And Mm. um, some of the the translation of that is I am contented. My soul is contented, but the idea is that it's contented before the Lord. It's contented in the arms of the Lord because the Lord Mm. has satisfied our needs. And so I think biblical contentment would just be that concept that like, no matter what circumstances are raising, 
are raging, you're sort of uh, anchored in your trust of God and therefore you're content, meaning like you're okay. You can take it. You're trusting this won't be the end of your story. Yeah. How would you and define think, contentment? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it really well, very poetically and very – but it's the – it's what uh, Paul writes there in Philippians. I've learned to be content in every and any situation. It's this idea that I can be – just to put it – I'm good. Yeah, no that's matter, a great way. No matter what is yeah. going on. It doesn't mean every – here's the big difference. It doesn't mean that every and any situation is good. Right. But it means that right. I'm good. Right. Rich or poor, healthy or sick, uh, you know, whatever else it might be. Yeah. And 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 they make a good point in this blog that it is something we learn. Mm. It is something we grow in. It in some ways is something we choose. Mm. Uh, and so they want to ask, what are the habits that kill contentment? So let me read the five. And I want you to jump in on maybe one or two as okay. to which ones are the biggest ones for maybe for you mm. or for all of us that really okay. do steal our contentment. This person, whoever this person is, has to have either a current or pastoral background. They're five, all <laughs> and begin they're all with C's. the same letter. Brilliant. Yes, they all begin yes. with the same letter. So Love here we it. go. Five things that kill contentment. Number one, comparing. Mm. Uh, quotes Philippians chapter one, verses 15 through 18 about, uh, you know, envy and rivalry. But uh, he says the likely the number one killer of contentment and perhaps the most subtle subtle is comparison. Yeah, yeah, wow. Number two, and then he talks about how to escape that. But number okay. two, complaining. Hmm. Philippians again, do everything without grumbling or complaining, or in every situation with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Uh, this idea that yeah. grieving and grumbling pushes us away it makes it, it it brings up a a spirit of discontentment. Number three, uh, this one feels like they're trying to make it a C. Contorting, <laughs> and then it says in parentheses or crushing. Contorting happens whenever we put pressure onto an object to be something that it wasn't designed to be, or do something it wasn't designed to do. Every time we look to a gift of God to do something that only God can do, it inevitably kills contentment. Hmm. This is idol worship. Yeah, right? like that's that. right. Yeah. Number four, complacency uh, and perfectionism. So uh, this idea to I will never stop growing versus, mm. oh, I'm good. Complacency mm. involves stagnus, stagnancy. Yeah. Contentment does not. And the last one is this conceit. Oh, interesting. This idea of. I deserve more. Yeah. I'm better than this, yeah. whatever else it might be. So mm. there's five C words that like kill it. contentment. Which one resonates with you and for probably people out there? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we, we talk actually quite a bit on this show about comparing and it's just mm -hmm. simply by nature of the social media world culture that we're in right now. It's just like, it's hard to go a, a second, a minute, an hour without comparing yourself to somebody else because you're seeing them on whatever, whatever social media apps you're on. And sometimes I don't even know that we necessarily 
like realize that we're comparing ourselves to other people, but I just think it gets in there subtly, you know? Um, So that's the one that, that's the one that really stood out to me. I would also say, I do think it's interesting, the conceit concept, because I do think that comparison can kind of lead to this conceit. Like, Mm -hmm. God, why are you giving that thing, that experience, that relationship, that whatever, to that person, but you're not giving it to me. I deserve it. I've been faithful to you. And so you can see how one leads to the other and how both are totally the opposite of contentment. What it feels like here is gratitude sort of the answer, right? Like humbling yourself before the Lord and having your eyes open to the things that God has actually done in your life. Yep. You and I have been doing this show too long together because the two that I chose were comparing and conceit. (laughs) So I think those uh, really do get at it. The Bible calls us to be content. And even Paul himself says, I have learned, I have grown, Mm. I I'm getting better at this. That's an encouraging uh, word. You can grow. You can get better. Like you can pray for help. Like that's encouraging to hear that. Yes. So hopefully that helps you as we look to grow in contentment. All right, Aubrey, yesterday for people who weren't with us, I shared a story from the town that I live in. I live in the the Chicago suburbs. I live in a town that we love called Downers Grove. Uh, It is Mostly Western suburbs, but kind of Southwestern suburbs, right? Like it's, um, you know, think, yeah. So go West of the city, but also South, if you don't know Downers Grove. So love the city, love the town, but a brouhaha has broken out. I love to use the word brouhaha. That is a solid word. Over (laughs) something I shared this yesterday that our Downers Grove public library is, uh, has put on the schedule. They're not just letting somebody use the building. They are hosting and and promoting uh, a drag queen bingo night for grades 7 through 12 yeah. later on in October. And you and I had this discussion. If anybody wants to uh, hear what we think about the, the actual event, go get our podcast and listen yesterday. Yeah, We yeah. have thoughts. We have, feel- <laughs> we have, we have feelings opinions. and opinions. So I want to share not so much. I don't want to rehash that so much, although I think it's crazy. And I think our public library has no business doing stuff like this and is trying to stir the pot and make a point and drive division. My own personal opinion, you wouldn't have stripper bingo night, but there it is Mm. what it is. But I got a text yesterday, not from our show discussion, but through other ways from somebody who has been very connected to our library. Um, and it was a, we ended up having a discussion about, um, people's reactions and the way they're voicing their disapproval. Yeah. So a lot of Facebook chatter, like this is a becoming a bigger and bigger deal in our town. And it's not just, I imagine it is. And it's, as I told this person, it's not just, this isn't footloose where like the really fundamentalist pastor in church doesn't want to have dancing. (laughs) Like there are people that I know who have nothing to do with churches, just really mad about this. Okay. Wow. And so it turned, and this is the discussion I would love to have with you though, because it is clear that there are church people. There are Christians online right now being really angry, but also really, um, 
I'll use this word mean. Mm. You might it might even be getting close to bullying. Yeah. Okay. Of the library, the people from the library. Oh yeah. And, but I also want to say, hey, the library, this particular librarian person, like I, I, I would say two things: it's not okay to bully and do this, yeah. but also what. What reaction were you expecting? I mean, that's that's actually an interesting point because it's obviously a it's a controversial thing to do, and I think t- to be in denial of that is to be a little bit in denial of just like the reality of life. Like again, I, you, we've sort of talked about how a few years ago we were we were like, yeah, maybe this kind of thing in San Francisco, maybe this kind exactly. of thing, and you know, some cities that are just sort of known for being a little more. Uh, progressive or what have you. Um, oh, and, and, and so I think all that to say, this is the middle of the suburbs. It is a quote unquote, a version of the Bible belt hill here in the Midwest. Like, don't be surprised that people are reacting to this. You know what I right. mean? But also, I mean, I think the point you're going to make is like, what, how does the Christian protest in a yes. way that still honors God and honors people. And I think that's so, a really interesting conversation to have. That's exactly where I'd like to go with this. What do we do? So let, you know, we can zero in on this particular one, but there's a million things that are going on culturally, um, you know, that 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 people feel passionate about yeah. and are going, this is crazy, this is sinful, this right. is evil and dark, whatever else it might be. And we have a long history in Christendom of yeah. protest, of just whatever else. We do. It might That's be. right. Yep. So, in this social media world that we live in, where you can be anonymous, you can just shoot off a you know yeah. a message or yeah. whatever. What would you tell somebody in your church or yeah, a friend of yours who says this makes me so mad? I want to do something about it. Yeah. What does doing something about it look like for the Christian? So it's interesting. Like if you are going to post on social media about or post on the library's website, I don't know what the forum there is or whatever. Like right. you were saying, this person was saying someone was posting wherever they're posting. I do I think, think it was like a message. Okay. To... Message board or, or, send, or send a message to the library. Correct. So I, I would say it strikes me that none of those comments should ever be anonymous. Um, not that you don't need to protect yourself, but also I think putting your name to something changes, hopefully, perhaps the way that you choose to communicate, right? Because mm-hmm. if it's anonymous, you could say a lot of things that you might not say if someone like knows your name. Um, that may, I mean, that's not necessarily like sinful not to put your name. I'm just wondering, it feels like there's some accountability there that feels wise. And then I still think like this is one of those things where, we have to go back to sort of old school, like focus on the issue, not the person, right? So mm. you can you can express your frustration. You can express your disapproval. You can express your sense of injustice or whatever language you use without attacking um, human beings. I, there are very compelling, meaningful ways to do that. I, e- even simply something like, Wow, you I appreciate your hard work at the library and all the many things that, you know, the library offers to our city of Downers Grove. I was looking at your calendar and I saw this upcoming drag queen bingo event. I have a lot of discomfort 
with it for these reasons. One, two, three. Right, right. Thanks so much for hearing me. You know what I mean? Like then you're yeah. attacking the issue and you're not attacking the the human being. Uh, mm. What is that too soft, Brian? What do you think? In this situation, this is where uh, this is where I struggle with this because there's also a continuum here, right? Like, um, are there t- are there things that rise to greater protest mm. than this? Right? I see. Like, yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, when it here we one that we talk about often when it comes to abortion. Yeah, it's pro- you and I probably would never say that it should stop at emailing the uh, director of Planned Parenthood locally going, hey, I'm uncomfortable. Why what you guys do? No, that's true. You're right. You're right, Brian. But but I actually think you're right in a situation like this one with the library. Like, I do think there is a, there is, I, I think this is also what bothers me. I think in the social media world we live in, we think a Facebook post is protest enough, but also what I've seen is uh, people in their own little Facebook echo chambers get all riled up and they start like giving each other fake confidence. Yeah. Hey, let's all post this. Hey, right. let's all go after this right. person. Hey, here's where, you know, here's this person's phone number. Let's just in it as opposed to what's going to be productive. Yeah. What like, will that's actually my make thing. change? Like I'm going to contact some people about this and just Good. express with it. But what is actually going to be productive versus what's going to make me feel good about, mm. hey, I posted this thing mm. on Facebook. Yeah. But instead, could I reach out to this lady and be like, listen, like yeah. you've, I've always been supportive of the library. Mm-hmm. You've never heard, you know, I'm not one of those people, whatever, yeah. but you guys are crazy for yeah. doing this. And yeah. here's why. And I'm, you know, I want you to know that there are a lot of people who think like I do. Yeah, and, I think that's good. Um, and I think that's it. But I do think. Do you think there's a place for actual protesting? Like, I mean, like in front of the library, the night of the event or building up to the event, like we're not okay with this. I I certainly think there is. I don't think it's productive. And yeah. instead, I wonder if that uh, only adds fuel to the fire as to why this is taking place in the first place. Probably, probably. I think that that would be unproductive because it would be, it would be sold as, Oh, here come the crazy right wing fundamentalists wanting to shut down whatever. Like I think, but certainly a place, definitely a place for it. But uh, I, I I wonder if that would end up being counterproductive. But I just found this interesting. Like, what it's does super interesting. right protest? Yeah. What does right uh, look like in for us as Christ followers, where we're called to love our neighbors? It called this, uh, but also stand up for what is right. I, so Aubrey, this thing's not till October. So I will keep you up to date. I wonder on what's going to happen. Goes. I mean, I I wonder if there'll be enough vocal response that they decide to change the event. I or that that's what they've been searching for from the start. Maybe, and <laughs> so. then you could, and you could see how like suddenly news outlets get involved, and it's sort of like in spite of the protest, it like they become the heroes in the story yep. somehow, right? You yep. can see it going that way too. Wow, lots to lots because happening will, in Downers Grove in your town, Brian. I will also tell you this. I told you this yesterday. It's already sold out. So <sighs> wow. Wow. We, I, I, for that reason, I think it's going to happen. So we shall see. With our kids going back to school and many of them connecting with their friends on various social media platforms, TikTok, Discord, this new run, new one, Be Real. I don't know how real. new it is, but uh, even Twitter. 
Um, I think it's, it's always a good to kind of like circle back and know how things are impacting our children and just be mindful of what's going on with our, going on with our kids. So, uh, here's an interesting report. This is actually out of the UK, but this is, uh, talking about how kids are avid social media users. This shocked me. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. 99% of children. So basically, you know, almost 100%, 99% of children aged 3 to 17 used the internet in 2021. Okay. Wow. Now, listen, YouTube was the most popular platform with 89% of children using it. Meanwhile, half of kids use TikTok. Now, most social media platforms, this is from an article at The Conversation, uh, requires users to be ages 13 or older. Nonetheless, of course, we sort of know this, but it's always good to remember the report found that a majority of children under 13 have their own profile or at least one social media app or site. One third of parents of children aged five to seven said their child had a social media platform that rises up to 60%, okay, when their kids hit age eight. And you just have to come up with a fake age. So that's how they're able to do that. Oh, that's so funny. Now, of course, we know that there's some like, there's some positives, I suppose, of young people being on social media. I'm not sure if I see what they are, except for maybe just like connecting with friends. But the negative effects, you know, range from just the amount of time they're spending online, behavior change because of that, behavior change due to anticipated judgment from peers, sensory overload, of course, to some of the more very serious things we've seen with uh, stress, anxiety, depression, suicidation, yeah, uh, yeah. bullying, you know, even like um, uh, predators coming after our kids. Like there's so many negative things about it. So, um, Interestingly, Brian, the, uh, different ages, of course, are impacted in different ways. But in general, the conversation is offering things parents can do. And one of those is really, really obvious. But um, have some type of user protection measures on your kids' devices. So whether that's, you know, there's all kinds of apps out there that you can download onto your phone, your children's phones, and like understand what they're getting into, what they're saying, who's talking to them. You can track their, you know, track their usage on the internet. And also, I think just have um, open conversations about that. I know some parents who have like they do sort of emergency spot checks where they won't tell, especially their older teenagers, they won't tell them they're going to do this because they don't want to give them time to hide anything. But it's like, all right, hand over your phone, hand over your computer right now. And then they'll go through and, you know, no kid ever really is happy about that. But um, parents do, parents obviously are doing that. So Brian, we've, we've circled around this conversation in the past, but what, what ways do you feel like you guys protect your kids in the social media world? That's uh, such a hard question because uh, in some ways it feels like a losing battle. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like it used to be, do we, it used to be, do we let our kids on? And now even these statistics say most of us have gone, I can't fight that battle. Right. And some right. of you out there might be. Um, but here's what's difficult is my kids can navigate these things. Like I joked with you, when Madeline went to college here this past weekend, we got Carrie and I uh, got on Snapchat so that because it's an easier way 
to talk, right? Yeah. Like to FaceTime, like FaceTiming. They were finding it very glitchy in her dorm, but it was working. So we we're like, great. If I could see you and talk to you, great. I had to ask my kids, how does this work? What do you <laughs> Seriously, do? Seriously, what do you do here? And there's so much to it that I don't understand mm. that, yes, obviously the answer could be, well, then don't let your kids on Snapchat. But it's the same with Instagram. It's the same yeah. with all of these. My kids have an understanding of it and a grasp that I don't. So my yeah. answer is, hey, whatever I don't grasp, you're off. Or I got to try to catch up. Well, that's a difficult game to play just because mm -hmm. they get it more. They understand it more and things are constantly changing. And so I think the answer is less to do with um, you can't do this. You must yeah. do this. You must. And more to do with let's let's talk about who you are and and mm. how are you going to be online? And mm. uh, yes, I'm going to be able to check things and I'm going to be able to do whatever, but I do, I'm not sure. Let me put it this way. I'm not sure that um, just strict ground rules. Yeah. Is enough are going to protect your yeah. kids are going to, I don't know. This sounds I terrible, know. but your kids are going to get around it. You and I yeah. got around our parents, strict ground rules at we times absolutely of our life. Did. And that was pre social media. Now yeah. they know how to use this stuff more. They know mm -hmm. how to do. And so I think this goes back to good parenting. Let's yeah. talk. Yeah. Let's have an open dialogue. Yeah. Let's set up some ground rules, which mm -hmm. it's funny. You bring this up. Carrie and I were just talking about yesterday. Like, are we comfortable with our kids having their phone in their room? Are we comfortable mm. with that? It yeah. feels like a constant conversation, which it can totally be exhausting. Does. It can be exhausting. And I think that's probably why so many parents are like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. It feels tiring. So I'm not going to do anything. But I, I do think just, you know, especially it, look, it's a, it's a great time to do it. It's the start of a school year. So maybe, you know, open up the conversation about what the, your expectations are, what the ground rules are. And then if you need to talk about it again at Christmas break, you do it again. I know some of you are probably better at this than others. We would actually love to hear from you. You can let us know on social media how you how do you take care of your kids' social media. One thing that's going around at my kids' school right now, Brian, you, you probably know about this, but I feel like it's worth telling all the parents who are listening. There's a... There's like a, a vault app that looks like a calculator on an iPhone. No and, idea. Okay. So uh, so kids are downloading this thing left and right. You, you can know if it's not a real calculator because if you look at the settings on their phone, if it takes up like uh, 30 um, – I don't know. What's the term for so, for like technology? I feel so dumb that I don't I know get, this I right got now. you. Yep, yep. 30 memory. Memory. Yeah. 30 Ram. memories. I don't know if we say <laughs> if it takes up that or more, then you know it's not a real calculator because a real calculator only takes like two or something. But what's happening is it's disguised as a real calculator. It works as a real calculator, but it has a secret code. Kids enter, it opens up, and it is all of their secret photos, videos, conversations. And uh, that's just, it's something for parents to be really mindful of because A, predators are using it to get kids to hide things from their parents, to share pictures that are sexually inappropriate. And also oh, wow. kids are just using it to hide stuff from their parents, period. So I, mm. it, you may parent, if you have any kind of instinct about that, you may want to grab your kid's phone, check on the calculator. And it doesn't look exactly like the regular iPhone calculator. So you'll know right away, like, hmm, something is a little bit suspicious about this. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I I think, I think it's, uh, there needs to be rules. Don't get me wrong. There yeah, needs to be yeah. rules. Uh, but 
I just think that the rules are not enough. Just don't mm-hmm. fall into that, especially when your kids You're are right. older. Don't yeah. fall into this thing in general of like, well, mom and dad said it, therefore it's true. Mm-hmm. It's not the world we've ever lived in. Right. Right. Right but now there's this whole new dimension of social media. So have conversations, keep that dialogue open as difficult as that can be with yeah. a teenage boy. <laughs> right. right, right. Be intentional about it. I think is what we're saying. One of the things I love about the common good is the way we move around topics. Like we just spent a whole conversation around uh, emotional support animals and what we, we think there should be a commissioner of emotional support animals. That's sort of where we landed. But now we're going to talk about worship in church. Brian, would you agree with me that when people complain about things in church, one of their top complaints is about something related to the music? Songs, volume, drum, style, like something around that. They're not connecting. Yes, it is absolutely the case that uh, at the top of that list is always, not always, but often music. Yeah. Okay, so let's give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Why do you think people are so passionate about music in churches? Um, hmm. So on a positive side, right? Worship is important. Music is important. Um, and there are different, and let's just be honest, there are different styles. Yep. There are different types. And so anytime there's different styles, people are going to have opinions about said styles. And so if every church in the country had only done hymns, mm-hmm. then there's going to be little to complain about, right? Yeah. Like, well, why do we choose this hymn? Is that? But there are different styles. So, you know, people are going to complain. Uh, it does play a little bit into the individualism and the consumerism of churches. Like, I don't like this. Right. I don't like how this sounds. This is too loud for me. This is whatever. But um, so it does play into a little bit of that, but people care, you know, that it's, it's half of our worship services often. So, yeah. uh, it's a big thing. I just have a problem when people, when it's clearly preferential and there's so that's a lot what of I like, do want to I, I just have a problem into. with that. Like, let, let's move into, cause I, I do think people are passionate about it for good reasons, but then it does get, uh, sort and of bad reasons. Well, that's what I want to kind of move to. Some of the bad reasons are, I think. You're right. Like people, it's it's really just preference, but then people spiritualize it, right? Like I, yeah. I don't think God is meeting me in this worship experience when really it's like, well, this just isn't maybe your preference of music style. And then I think the question is, do you call people in churches to ignore that and, and like stick with the community or move on to a different church? Uh, I don't think that music preferences are a reason to leave a church. Yeah. I am fully aware though, that over time they might erode your ability to, or your desire to be in war. And those are problematic. Uh, I'm a big, also I'm not a music guy. Right. Right. And so I love to sing worship songs. I, I enjoy it. But I, to be honest with you, I worry more. I am more concerned about what the song is saying Mm. and like what its purpose is Mm. than necessarily the music itself. Like how it sounds. So I have opinions, but I don't, I'm never that pastor who's like, we're going to do this type of song. This, I get really uncomfortable with what, quite frankly, a lot of newer songs 
their posture is and their focus is and their theology is versus older songs. So yeah. that quite frankly for me is the bigger deal than how's it sound? Are the drums too yeah. loud? I'm fully aware that a lot of people, it doesn't go much beyond how does it sound? Do I like it? Do I like singing it? But for yeah. me, it's the words. Okay. Total side note. And then I want to come back to an article at Relevant, which is the reason why I'm asking you this questions. Uh, there are a couple guys at our church who are part of this Christian metal band from the 80s called Sacred Warrior. They're no way. Playing, they're playing at a massive Christian metal event in Ohio this weekend with Petra. Brian. No. Yes. yes. No, they're, they're like old dudes now. Right. But in the 80s, they were like young guys wearing spandex with their metal worship songs. I'm going to try to I, I'm going to try to have them on the common good. Like we need to have them playing music and being interviewed because their story is wild. But one of the things that they talked about, the reason they started their band is they loved none of them were Christians. They were in this heavy metal band. They loved heavy metal music. They all came to Christ. I don't exactly know how, but like they all came to Christ around the wow. same time. Like God got a hold of them. And they had lots of people in their church experience saying, you shouldn't use drums in worship. You shouldn't do heavy metal. And they were like, hey, we love Jesus. This is the music we play. We're just going to do it anyway. And they have all these like very intense, like 80s power ballad worship songs. And it's awesome. Do they lead at your church? So he, so the drummer plays drums consistently, and every once in a while, we'll get uh, another one of the band members to like play guitar and sing, and it's so fun. I mean, it's like the name of the band, Sacred Warrior. You can look them up online. We're definitely going to get them in the studio at some point. But oh, um, look at the hair back in the day! Look at the hair. They're like a total '80s hair band. I mean, now they're like grandpas. You know what I mean? Like they're elders in our churches, but they still are just like rock and rolling. Anyway, all that to say, there's a lot of different opinions out there about what's befitting for worship. And over at Relevant Magazine, Alexandra McCollop is telling a story about how when she and her husband first got married, they moved to a new city and of course began that long and frustrating process of searching for a new church. Mm-hmm. They um, they had a hard time finding one that they felt comfortable in. They couldn't find one that was the right fit. But they read a quote by Rachel Held Evans, who has since passed away, an author, speaker, a little bit controversial about some of her Mm -hmm. beliefs. But she said this. um, She said, rights got nothing to do with it. Waiting around for the right will leave you waiting around forever. And that inspired this couple to realize what we finally realized was that showing up to church for worship wasn't about being right or being us or being a fit. It was about God's rightness and everything else that he was and is and is to come. And she goes on to say, God doesn't care about whether we're singing a new song or harmonizing the melodies of old. He doesn't care if we have guitars and drum sets or chant acapella in historic pews, musty with centuries of accumulated incense. He isn't preferential to dissonant harpsichords or to compelling lyric videos that enhance the worship experience. In fact, God isn't concerned with the worship experience at all. She says what he wants Mm. is the offering. And then she goes on to define the biblical, uh, the biblical word of worship. She says comes from the Greek word proskunio. This new Testament term refers to the human expression of reverence and adoration. She says what this means is that the value in what we bring to worship is not in our savvy or in our songs, but in our hearts. What do you oh, think about that good. take on worship? I think yeah. it's good. This is why I we call so it too. preference, right? Like right. we all get worked up about it. And, I, you know, maybe if the preference is such a big deal for you, 
that you can't worship, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes. That's something yeah. to deal with. But sure. I think Rachel Held Evans, you know, in in some ways she she spoke very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh and and this idea that you know what the purpose is our offering to God, That's not right. necessarily God's not up there going, Man, I can't believe they're doing another song from nineteen ninety four. You know? <laughs> Are they really, are they really doing shout to the Lord right now? No, I'm out. I'm out. Or maybe he's like, my only acceptable music ended in 1978. Everything before work. It's a, it's a heart posture. It's a, what am I? And I I think we'd be Mm. good to start remembering that. Mm, I think that's so good. Let me, let me uh, wrap up how Alexandra wraps up her article. She says in our age of technology, We may find ourselves pushing for progress in our worship services while at the same time rebelling against it. We create and we condemn, frustrating ourselves by fashion trends to the point where we forget that God isn't concerned with style. That is to say, God doesn't prefer flashy and modern over reverent and traditional or vice versa. His desire is simply that we come to the altar with the offering of our whole selves. When we bow down before him, he is exalted no matter the lyrics or melodies that we may choose. I think that's a good word of wisdom for all of us when we think about worship. One of the things that we love to do at the end of every show is just to bring you something, put a little smile on your face. We carry some heavy stories here on The Common Good, and every once in a while we like to just do a palate cleanser, share some good news with you. We've been going to a place called The Week where they're actually like mm-hmm. aggregating good news stories of the week. And some of these are so fun. So I love getting to share them with our listeners. Um, I'll start with the first one. Okay. Okay. All right. A Massachusetts man surprises senior community residents with brand new shoes. Residents of the Two Life Senior Community in Brighton, Massachusetts have a new pep in their step. Thanks to James Humphreys. The 25-year-old is a front desk ambassador and last year noticed that many of the seniors were w- wore worn-out shoes that in some cases were several sizes too big. Humphreys worried that they might trip and fall and was especially concerned about a resident who is partially blind and only speaks Haitian Creole. It took him months to earn the man's trust and once he learned his shoe size, Humphreys bought him a pair of new blue suede New Balance sneakers he had at home that were the perfect size. When a colleague heard what he did, she gave Humphreys the number of a contact she had at New Balance. The person no longer worked at the company, that the but the people there were so gracious, and there was a domino effect of references until I landed in the right hands, Humphreys told the week. They generously offered to donate 20 pairs of shoes, and with the help of the resident service coordinators at Two Life, we were able to fulfill the order with residents we felt needed the most. Being able to help others is the most rewarding and gratifying act of life, Humphrey said. We have all been in a place where we need someone to reach their hand out and say, I got you. I want to be that person for others whenever possible. That's cool. I know. I I like like that. I like that New Balance did that. I think that's such a great story. Number two, flight operated by all black women crew honors Bessie Coleman. In celebration of aviation trailblazer Bessie Coleman, a recent American Airlines flight from Dallas-Fort Worth to Phoenix was staffed entirely by black women, from the pilots to the cargo team. In the aviation industry, less than 1% of pilots are black women. And that's why Captain Beth Powell said she was, quote, beyond thrilled to be part of the crew where we are inspiring young girls, young girls of color, to see the various roles that these women play in every aspect to make this flight possible. In 1921... 
Bessie Coleman became the first black woman to earn her pilot's license license after she learned French and traveled to Paris to attend the Codron Brothers School of Aviation. She went on to fly in air shows, dazzling crowds with her dangerous tricks. Coleman unfortunately died in a plane crash in 1926 at the age of Mm. 34 before she was able to fulfill her dream of opening a flight school for black pilots. Her great niece, Gigi Coleman, was a passenger on the American Airlines flight and said she was, quote, grateful to have the opportunity to highlight my great aunt's accomplishments in the field of aviation. That's awesome. Nice. I love that story. Yeah. yeah, it's a good one. Okay. I th- These stories are coming out of Uber. There are some hero Uber drivers, all right? Uber driver praises hero after rescuing people from burning building. It's either the Uber drivers or like the food delivery people. Yes. They are like Grubhub people are like saving lives left and right. All right. So here's a story. Fritz Sam deserves all the stars for a recent ride through New York City. When the Uber driver stopped to rescue two people from a burning building and they got his passenger to the airport in time to make her flight. So mic drop Uber drive right there. Last Wednesday, Sam was headed to LaGuardia Airport with Jemima Way when he saw flames and smoke coming out of a brownstone in Brooklyn's Bed-Stuy neighborhood. Bed-Stuy. You're in Bed-Stuy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sam asked Way if he could stop to help, and they learned from a resident that at least one person was still inside the building. I just knew something had to be done at the moment, Sam told today. He raced inside the brownstone where he met a man who said he needed to grab something from another floor and a woman who didn't want to leave. Sam convinced the woman to go and ushered her outside, then went back into the building to find the man. Once they were both out, firefighters were on the scene and Sam and Way felt the situation was stable and they could go. Way tweeted about what happened and Uber CEO surprised him with a call. I try to keep things in a way where it's like, you know, you did a good thing, Sam told today. You'd be surprised what little things we do can be impactful because trust me, those little things are going to make a big difference for somebody. I don't think that's a little thing. Rescuing people from a burning building is a big act. Can I tell you the one part that confuses me about that story? Uh, Yes. Building's on fire to the point that people are going and trying to help. Who's calling 911? No, he said he met a man who said he needed to grab something from another floor and a woman who didn't want to leave. Todd? Yeah, maybe the fire wasn't as dramatic as they're saying. I'm also wondering why he didn't just like let the firemen do their job. Yeah, like, I want to celebrate him. Great job, yeah. but maybe I call picture that woman being like, said- I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. staying. I'm st- <laughs> and the other guy's like, I got to go. I got to go upstairs and get something real fast. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll uh, okay. I don't know. Every now and All then, right. people confuse me. Yeah, people. I don't are think you're going to like this story. Uh oh. North Carolina Cat Cafe nope celebrates its one thousandth adoption. My uh, my allergies are like responding to this, and I'm already just sniffing. by words. Yes, just uh. by you saying it. The Mac Tabby Cat Cafe in Charlotte, North Carolina, is the perfect spot to grab some <laughs> coffee and possibly nice. pick up a new furry friend. The cafe opened in December of 2017 and doubles as a foster home for rescued cats. All of the cats are up for adoption and visitors can spend up to an hour playing with and petting the cats. Uh, they will attack them at some point. If it's I mean, love really? at first meow, the adoption process can begin. <laughs> On Tuesday, the cafe celebrated its 1,000th adoption with Leo Wyatt, a five-month-old black and white kitten going home with his new family. It takes a lot of caring humans to get each cat from where it starts to its forever home. We're all small part of the greater good. 
and are thankful to be able to spread goodness into the world in the very best way, one cat at a time, 1,000 and counting. Wow. You're going to know that I have one problem with this story. Let's hear it. The five-month-old cat's name was Leo Wyatt. Oh yes, obviously, because you. What have I told you? Do not name your pets as human with human names. Yeah, that is a no-no. So that's your only problem with that story. My problem is I don't think I go to the cat. (laughs) (laughs) You're just mad. They're more than they're now more than the thousand cats in the world. I am. I am very (laughs) angry about that. That's funny. All right, number five, last story: Ohio woman spontaneous goodwill karaoke performance goes viral. Dee Garvin was on the hunt for a new karaoke machine, and she found what she was looking for, as well as internet fame at the Goodwill store in Hamilton, Ohio. Garvin, a music lover, likes to visit nursing homes and sing with the residents and told WLWT she needed a replacement karaoke machine because she wore two of them out. During a recent visit to Goodwill, the employee who took the karaoke machine off the shelf for Garvin asked her if she would sing a song. Garvin agreed, and her rendition of He's Got the Whole World in His Hands could soon be heard across the store. Customer John Schuerfranz was impressed not just by Garvin's singing, but also by how much fun she was having. I thought, this is wonderful, he told WLWT. I mean, what a spirit. He posted the video online, and it soon went viral, which stunned Garvin. When I was a girl, I was a very shy, backward girl, and it's hard to even believe for me, she said. That's a cute story. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Okay. I like it. It's not I like cats. It. It's, it's not cats. It's not, it's not cats, and I like that it was he's got the whole world in his hands. All right. Well, we hope those stories put a smile on your face. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.